You're listening to Critical Mass Radio Show, Final Fridays live from Brandman University. This show is live in front of an audience of CEOs and executives from the Southern California business community with your host, Richard Franzi. Give her a round of applause. Welcome. Yay. Thank you. Thank you guys for coming as well, for joining us for lunch, networking, and a time to learn. This is Critical Mass Radio's final Friday show live from Fast Start Studio today in Irvine Lake Forest, California. And today we're broadcasting because this business talk show airs live during the week on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Our national show airs on Thursdays at 3 p.m. on Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio. If you are listening to this show as a podcast, we always encourage you to listen live during our broadcast times. This show is brought to you by our commercial sponsors, Brandman University Decision Toolbox MBN Design, Smart Business Magazine, S&H Rubber, Succession Strategies, Tone Software, UPS Protection, and The Center Club. Today's theme is, Why Do So Many Early Stage Companies Fail? And How Can We Help Yours Succeed? Our goal is to help you learn more about early stage companies and the qualities that render success and longevity. And here to offer their expertise is our fantastic panel. First, uh, we'll move from left to right. Michael Sawitz, he is the founder of Fast Start Studio and the gracious host of this event. You can go ahead and clap. Welcome. Next, we have Dr. Deborah Ferber. She is a Brandman University professor and managing partner with Lodom Sanchez and Colmenares. After Dr. Deb, we have Christopher Wright. He is the senior commercial capital advisor with Capital Direct. And last but not least, we have John Bradley Jackson, who also goes by JJ, and he is the director of Cal State University Fullerton's Center of Entrepreneurship. Thank you all for joining us for the show. And I'd like to start off by going down the line again and kind of giving us some background on your career and the position you are with today. Thank you for that, and thank you for everyone turning out, and and welcome to Fast Start Studio. What we do here is help people take their ideas, that concept or dream, and turn it into a reality, hopefully, of a business. And it's a structured program with mentors and subject matter experts and workshops, and all in preparation for launching those companies who will hopefully hire people, who will hopefully do business with local suppliers who then will hire people, and all together we're going to raise our local economy, and that's the focus of Fast Start Studio. Fantastic. That deserves a clap. It's a very timid crowd here. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Deb, go ahead. Um, My name is Dr. Deb. I like to be referred to as an entrepreneur entrepreneur, so my passion is growing organizations and companies. Um, My background is actually in the technology field, so I was... uh, in technology for almost 14 years, and I worked with uh, Tech Coast Angels, uh, Brentwood Capital to create business plans and uh, review uh, business proposals. 
Uh, currently, as you mentioned, I'm a managing partner of a real estate investment trust. Uh, I work with foreign investors. So the good news is foreigners feel that that's a grab bag out there for real estate. So um, you know, I think that's a good sign for us in the economy. And then I'm also a professor at Bramming University. I teach entrepreneurship, uh, marketing, and small business finance. And I'm pleased to be here, so thank you for inviting me. Thanks for joining us. My name is Christopher Wright. Um, experience and background, 13 years in finance. Uh, I own three different businesses. Uh, I was a money manager for seven years. And uh, I work at Capital Direct currently. What we do is we are we focus on solutions with that the traditional banks basically fail in regards to funding or providing capital. Uh, we find these different sources of capital through various uh, non-traditional, non-depository, both public and private, uh, to be able to get uh, all businesses their capital needs, what they need. But we're more of a consultative and kind of creative firm, so we have a lot of different products uh, instead of just a few different products that, say, a bank has to be able to provide the whole breadth of what finance and capital is out there. It's my pleasure to be here today. I'm John Bradley Jackson. You can call me JJ. And uh, I teach entrepreneurship at Cal State Fullerton. My specialization is new venture creation. I'm also the director of the uh, Center for Entrepreneurship, which is our outreach to the greater Southern California community. Uh, I also have a background in technology. I cut my teeth in semiconductors and disk drives. And I did about uh, 10 years on Wall Street, and I learned about greed with a capital G. So I'd like to get this panel going and start by asking why you think there has been such an influx, why entrepreneurship is really on the rise, because each of your industries, I think, experience so many different entrepreneurs and business owners who are trying to bring that next product to the forefront or that that service that really needs to be taken advantage of. Why do you think entrepreneurship has grown so much in recent years? I'd love to take that one. Um, I think our economy has really been a a real um, driving factor. We see people that are very skilled and they lost their position and uh, they realize maybe they were midlife um, careerists and they were looking to start their own business so we see people going into franchising. I do extensive research on female entrepreneurs and uh, women are the fastest growing segment of entrepreneurs in the country and um, then it's the Latino community so uh, we see certain segments really um, driving the entrepreneurship uh, here in the U.S. but I would say uh, economic factors people uh, don't like it that they get laid off even if they're doing a good job so why not be your own boss and uh, be and be basically in control of your future. And I'd like, thank you, I'd like to add to that another group, and that would be um, graduates, right? So uh, less than 50% of college graduates right now are being hired in the areas they just got their degrees. So taking that knowledge and that energy, um, entrepreneurship is is a natural evolution. That teamed with the fact that it's never been cheaper, if you will, or or the barriers of, of, of entry to starting companies has never been as low as it is now with the new technology from web and mobile applications within the reach of almost anyone off the shelf. Uh, I just read an article, the barrier of entry, um, of starting a business now versus 15 years ago, it's 95% less expensive now than it was 15 years ago. So just add it to the mix. 
Yeah, I could add to that. This is JJ. I think you guys are spot on in your uh, summation of what's going on. But additionally, I think there's a uh, macro work culture shift. It used to be uh, you went to school, uh, you graduated, you got a job, you went to work, you got married and made babies, right? And that has really, really changed. And so what's happening on the uh, early part of our workforce is they're having to uh, really uh, embrace a new workplace that challenges them and sometimes forces them to be entrepreneurial uh, with the uh, uh, economic push and then the low barrier to entry. Uh, being a uh, entrepreneur by necessity is a uh, viable approach, and I think there's just an exciting time to uh, create new ideas that could uh, make money. I think a lot of the young kids, too, are seeing 21-year-olds driving around in Ferraris and living on the <laughs> on oceanfront properties, uh, creating technology companies, which cost little to nothing, as you said. Uh, so I think uh, a lot of people think that they can be that. Obviously, I, I'm going to create the next Facebook. I'm going to create whatever else. But uh, also the crash happens. So I think it put a lot of people out of work. And so a lot of people are, you know, sometimes people come up with the best ideas when they're in the trenches. You know, the fruit grows in the valley. So they... They're coming up with these different ideas and like, yeah, I can do this. You know, I can be an entrepreneur. And I think uh, it's it's definitely a trend, no doubt. That leads me to another question. You mentioned school. We have two educators on this panel, so I would like you to have that in mind. When is it necessary to have a formal education for the industry that you're pursuing? If you're an entrepreneur or a business owner, when do you think it can actually hinder you, if so? I'll let the educators take it, and then I'll do the follow-up. Yeah, uh, this is JJ. Uh, necessary? I, I wouldn't use that word. I think that uh, the platform of uh, a college education is helpful in the basics of decision-making, uh, in understanding what the problem truly is, analyzing it, and trying to figure out what to do. Uh, but is it a necessity to be an entrepreneur? No. I agree. I would say then, depending on the program that you're involved in, you need to make sure that it's something that can lend itself to help you grow the organization that maybe you're involved in. So I see people that are going back for their MBA that want to take uh, their business to the next level, and they realize that maybe they're in the million to two million dollar range, and now they want to go to the five to ten million dollar range, and they need those skill sets. So. Um, education can be used for a, a set of building blocks um, as well as a strong foundation. But um, as we know, there are entrepreneurs out there that don't have a formalized education. But statistically, uh, we know that if you have a, a formal education, uh, statistically you will um, do far better. So I'll speak um, from two sides of the road, the first being that I'm a dropout. All right, I'll admit that in front of everyone. Dropped out of college to open my first store. Uh, in my junior year, uh, always wanted to go back and uh, actually never stepped foot on a campus until John brought me back 40 years after I left. And, you know, I always wanted to be there. And once I was back on campus, I realized there was a lot there that I didn't get to have and there were holes in my knowledge base. But to go with what uh, you both just said, it is not necessary in that. If you have the drive, you'll find that information, you know, whether it's web-based or, more importantly, it's about building a team. 
a team that that does have domain experts, subject matter experts. You build a team to fill in the holes in the knowledge base and the skill sets that you don't have, and that's easier than ever now with the uh, proliferation of, of networks like LinkedIn and, and Quora and so forth. And that's how I found almost all of you to kind of coordinate this panel, so I think that speaks to the availability of information and connections online. I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next question. This is for Chris, but I'd like to mention that if you believe that you have an answer, always feel free to jump in. Uh, If you could describe today's market and from a financial perspective, how difficult or easy do you think it is to start a new business in this economy, whether the factors are the actual financial perspective or even... um, from, I guess, competition, any other factors that kind of play into how easy it is? Well, remember, uh, I am representing more the money and how the banks view businesses. So I definitely will not say, you know, what is and what is not successful because there's a lot of companies out there that uh, make it successful without any capital whatsoever. Um, But the actual... Industries that typically are have, have a little easier road are more service-related, labor-intensive, uh, stuff that actually creates a product possibly that you can sell immediately. Um, things that need like a lot of capital, obviously, you know, th- the banks are tightening up. So it's going to be a little bit difficult uh, for those industries such as like restaurants, typically. I think everyone kind of agrees that that's a, it's a difficult industry. Construction is a difficult industry. Uh, transportation is a difficult industry. But on the other side, um, you know, medical field, healthcare stuff that's going to continually be a need certainly is going to be stuff that the banks like to lend to. So the banks all have their own experience and history of what they like to lend to. So is it hard or easy? Uh, it just really depends on, you know, the road you go and uh, how much capital you need. You know, since the banks are tightening up, private equity has come into that gap to fill it. Uh, so there is still a lot of opportunities for capital if you do need that. Uh, but, uh, again, I represent the money, and I don't represent you know how easy it is, is hard to start a business. Uh, I tell you, if you can't get the capital in the future. So, so to add to that, Christopher, um, the non-traditional, right, non-bank funding um, has almost exploded. There, last year, there were 400 new micro-VC funds created. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're all used to the billion and two billion uh, venture capitalist funds. But these are micro-funds aimed at early stage and some seed stage. Uh, and with 400 new ones, that's uh, several billion dollars more of funding directed at startups. And I'm starting to see even more and more of that, the uh, angel community, right? So there's um, 3 million accredited investors uh, in the United States. Many of them are angel investors. And we're sitting here on the precipice that something is going to change everything. Uh, Title III, all right? Uh, Sometime between August and mid-October, the feds are going to, you know, probably turn the switch up and... uh, the public will be able to take an equity position in startups. Uh, it'll be sort of Kickstarter for equity, and there's already something like 7,000 filings of companies that will do this crowdfunding, um, and, boy, that's going to bring a lot of capital into the marketplace. 
It's interesting. Uh, Rick Franzi had a um, show at uh, Bremen University, and we had Indiegogo, one of the principals of Indiegogo, um, on the panel. And it was fascinating um, to learn how people can really uh, take a, an idea and launch it with the first $200,000. And I was uh, very pleasantly surprised. So it is an exciting time for entrepreneurs. And there's nothing better than your own cash. So if you can do it yourself, you should. I will reiterate, though, that the peer-to-peer lending is is massive market right now. It's a very huge market, and it's getting bigger and bigger by the day. And we're getting more and more people contacting us to be able to use their capital uh, reserves that they have. We have about five minutes left in this segment before our next break, and I wanted to kind of piggyback off of those last thoughts. Uh, Again, this is kind of directed toward Chris and Michael because you have a similar position in that you're kind of um, a gatekeeper when it comes to your industry. So I wanted to ask, what are the current trends and certain requirements that, Michael, you have for which entrepreneurs you let into the Fast Start Studio community? And, Michael, who you choose to represent and really help? So we're, we're rather different uh, than the typical incubator. Uh, most incubators are technology-driven, specifically web and mobile. Because of the things we talked about, barriers of entry, the amount of capital needed are very low. Uh, just talk to you know Zuckerberg or Sergey Brin and, and what they've been able to do. So that, that tends to be the focus of most incubators, um, low barrier to entry, big markets, huge exits, and that's all cool. I'm a capitalist at heart, and you know I believe in that. But what we do here at Fast Start is different. And so we're uh, industry agnostic. So we have people here creating uh, consumer products and services uh, along with web and mobile. We have clean tech here. We have med tech here. So we're, we're broader than the most traditional uh, incubator. And so you asked, you know, what are sort of the criteria? And, and I think Christopher uh, will agree is that when you're looking at whether you're going to fund a company, if you're going to help raise money for that, you're looking at, you know, in the vernacular, both the rider and the, and the horse, the jockey and the horse, right? The horse being the concept and the jockey being the founder of the, of the team. And for me, um, it is very, very, very much the jockey because whatever people come through here with their concept, that's not what they exit with. You know, the uh, the pivot is alive and well. And the the companies that have launched didn't look like anything like they came in here, right? But using their intelligence, their drive, their intellect being customer focused they made the changes necessary to bring that company to market and so for me it's very much the heart and the integrity and the intellect of the person the team that had that came with us it it, it pretty much all comes down to numbers Uh, again you know it's you know, we lend we lend by looking at the paper, looking at the the financials, um, obviously, and so if they have the right capital, if they have the right character, if they have the right business plan, of course, that's required for, you know, uh, organizations like the SBA. Uh, you have to have a great business plan to even get uh, funding in the first place. Um, there are all other alternatives, of course, uh, like you said, but. Uh, you know that's that is probably the most important part is a is a great business plan, accounting, capital, and managing that capital going forward. 
Fantastic. And we're definitely going to be touching on business plans and the importance of creating the right one for your industry after the break. So we're going to hear a few messages from our sponsors, but stay tuned because we're talking more with our expert panel about why so many early stage companies fail. talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's succession-strategies.com. Today's businesses are embracing voice over IP telephones and unified communication desktop technologies to more effectively communicate and collaborate with their customers, suppliers, and colleagues. The Reliatel management software from Tone Software Corporation helps organizations of all sizes manage their communications technologies to ensure great voice quality and better levels of service and reliability throughout their business. Through Reliatel, you'll gain higher return on investments from VoIP and unified communications technologies while lowering the associated operational support and maintenance costs. Learn more. Visit www.tonesoft.com or call 800-833-8663 for information on Reliatel by Tone Software, the solution for quality business communications. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Hey, did you know that over 73% of consumer packaged goods and retail products fail miserably within their first year? Why? Because they find themselves in the pit of unawareness. You don't want to go there. Call me and I'll make sure that your packaging gets noticed. You know how I know? Because I'm the founder and creative director of MBN Design. We're one of Orange County's most established and trusted design firms. With over 20 years of experience, I can ensure that your brand will always stay new. Ask me how 
how our packaging sold millions in months, or see for yourself other success stories on our website at www.mbndesign.com. We're MBN because we're making brands new. Call 714-458-8701 and talk to me, Hector Garcia. That's my cell. 714-458-8701. I'll be waiting for your call. Welcome back live to our live event from Fast Start Studio. Let's give an applause for Fast Start Studio. Critical Mass for putting this on today here. You know, this really is a select panel. You've got Brandon University and Cal State Fullerton. What's it you're from? And banks and people and everything here. Great opportunity to ask some more questions. And the person who's going to ask those questions, Asia Celestino. Give it up for Asia over here. Thanks, Paul. We'll Such a great MC. Woo, woo, woo. We'll give this like a rave or something. <laughs> Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio's Final Friday Show, live from Fast Start Studio in Irvine, California. I'm Asia Salasino, filling in for the irreplaceable Rick Franzi. We at the Critical Mass Radio Show would like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download the show as a podcast. This is pretty incredible. You guys have downloaded over 16,000 shows in the past month. 16,000. And we... We really, really appreciate it at the radio station and on the Critical Math team. Thank you for your continued support. All shows can be heard live on Internet radio station OC Talk Radio or rebroadcast anytime from iTunes, Stitcher, and other business-oriented podcasting services. Remember to connect with us online on Twitter at CEO Peer Groups or for Facebook and LinkedIn. At Critical Mass, F-O-R, Business. Did you want to throw in the Fast Start Studio plug real quick? Absolutely. FastStartStudio.com. Thank you. And if you have your smartphone out, feel free to keep it out because we at Critical Mass Radio have updates, exclusive interviews for you guys. You can text the word Fridays, plural Fridays, to 37619 if anyone wants to do that right now. It's 37619. All of our mobile marketing services are provided by Sonic Mobile. And we can get back to our panel discussion. Before we do, I have somebody who tweeted a question in here. You can tweet. You can go to OC Talk Radio or at OC Talk Radio or at Critical Mass. Is that CEO Peer Groups. And we're using the hashtag Ask Final Fridays. Ask Final Friday. So if anybody's out there listening to this live and you want to participate, by all means, we did have somebody who figured out and tweeted in a question. This may be a little vague, but it maybe it'll spark a bigger discussion. Wait, wait, wait. Let's leave it for the last second. For the last? Okay. All right. We'll yeah. save it to the end here. All right. We'll but save we, it till the end. We do have some questions building up during the conversation. If you'd like to join the conversation but you don't have a question, you can always just hashtag Final Fridays. We're getting very, very socially connected here. So thanks for listening in if you're not here in person. We can get back to our discussion. Today's theme is, why do so many early stage companies fail? And I'm going a little bit off script, so expert panelists don't feel alarmed. We're just having a conversation. Um, I wanted to kind of go off of the last topic, um, Chris's mention of business plans, and ask, how important is a solid business model? How many entrepreneurs or business owners do you know that don't necessarily know how to write a proper business plan. You want to take it, JJ? Yeah, I'll take that. So the business model uh, is, in layman's terms, 
where you give value to a customer and they give you money back. So that's your business model. Now, the business plan is an analysis of what you might do, right? So um, for uh, an entrepreneur who's entering a new field, uh, the basis of that plan is to go swim in the pond, right? So if you really want to understand what uh, it's going to be like to have a business in a particular market segment, you have to dive deep into the ecosystem, and you really got to talk to a lot of people. And uh, instinctively, that just makes sense to all of us. Uh, well, there's someone who's uh, created a whole uh, uh, universe about that, and it's now called Lean Startup. And it's based on the premise of what you do is before you uh, invent, before you create a product specification, you need to talk with people who are in the ecosystem, You're, who you think the prospective customer is, talk to their customers, talk to their vendors, really get to know what's going on in that community. And if you can, you probably should talk to about 100 of those people. And if you do that, not only will you have a good feeling for who your customer is, you'll also understand what their problems are and how you might provide value, and then you're at the point where you can create the product specification. So I want to add on to that because this is, an, this is a topic that J.J. and I sometimes arm wrestle over. The business plan versus what's behind you is a business model canvas. And that is the new vernacular, if you will. So for the last 150 years or ever since the Industrial Revolution, we've been building companies using a business plan so that everyone in the company is on the same page, right? I mean, let's say we're going to open up a, a new retail operation. In, in my former career, I was a franchisor, and we opened hundreds of stores. So what does that do, right? You've got to have money for that. So there's the financial end of it, the accounting and the projections from there. Maybe people to run that store. So here's HR, uh, going to market for that store, uh, product, each of the disciplines, everybody works together to create this roadmap, and each have a certain uh, station, and it's all benchmarked, and it could take months and a lot of work to do it. And once it's reached, right, and you flip the switch, everybody has to follow their part because the, the company, the well-being of the company is how everyone executes their part of this business plan. And that's terrific. And that's the way we've been doing it for 150 years. But that's with a company that is existing. And those things are known. When we talk about startups, it's high. Things are un improbable or, un or, or uh, unknown, high degree of, uh, of things that are unknown. So how do you build a roadmap if you don't know even where you are today and, and possibly what are the components? So it takes a different vernacular. So this business model canvas has all of the same components as a business plan. It has marketing. It has customer segmentation. It has metrics. It has strategic alliances and all the other pieces, but differently. The, the difference here is once you do a business plan and everybody you know signs off and starts, you don't change it. The difference here is it's constantly iterative. So as you learn 
this deep uh, information from your customers about their problem and about the marketplace, you make the changes and iterate. So it changes with you. So it's much more dynamic. It allows you to bring um, a product to market sooner and many times with less expense because there's a lot of testing involved instead of sort of that Kevin Costner, remember in the, in the movie Field of Dreams, build it and they will come. That's the way we used to do it. Build it and then spend a lot of marketing dollars to drive people there. This is turned upside down. It starts with the customer's needs, and we're building things that they want. And so it's about testing, and it's being very quick, agile, and iterative. And, and those are the, the two ends of the spectrum. But in reality, it's the same thing. It's the same. If to run a good business, there's stuff that's got to be there, right? Yeah, actually, if I could uh, add one more thing. See, I told and you then, we arm wrestling uh, all the time. From, uh, <laughs> from my perspective, uh, startups aren't companies, okay? Uh, startups are company wannabes, right? And they have a hypothetical business model, and they're testing it, whereas a company has a proven business model that they're implementing, well, he sees. That's why he has the de- degrees. He said it much clearer than I did. Thank you, JJ. You're welcome. Well, we're talking also about why businesses fail, and I was thinking about modeling and possibly business plans. And I think what I've always seen is a lack of research on competition. And how do you understand your own organization unless you understand the competition? And of course, it always behooves the business owner who's looking for funding to perhaps limit the number of competition that's possibly listed on their business plan for financing, but it's because they want to put their blinders on. So we're always professing, please really do that research. I love it, 100 interviews. That's great, and that's a a great model to follow. But, um, yeah, I would say that... um, a competitive analysis needs to be kept up at all times, too. And we talk about this. It used to be that you had a five-year business plan. Um, it should be a every-month business plan. It needs to stay agile. Uh, the company that has a five-year business plan will perish in this economy. That I can guarantee because you're going to be behind the, the ball. So, um, But, again, the analysis for competition, we're telling um, our students and people I work with, make sure you're following it on a daily basis. Find out if they're actually... Um, competing with you directly or are offering a substitute and because it will morph into different things. So that's where we're finding people are really uh, falling behind and, and not doing a good job. Yeah, I definitely would have to agree with that. I mean, uh, with all the panelists, I mean, preparation, like JJ said, is extraordinarily important. I think so many people rush into because they're passionate about their product, because they're passionate about their business or whatever they want to do, and they just, you know, they go to LegalZoom, they open up a corporation or something, and then like, okay, let's get on the phone, let's start selling. It's, there's so much more to it. You really do have to look at your competition. You have to look at your. You have to prepare for it. You have to, as Michael says, you know, have a quality team, obviously, to put together uh, to enable to you know you to have success in the long term. And and like you said, this is not a five-year plan. This is something that you want to do for the rest of your life, ultimately, and coast off into retirement. So, you ultimately need to prepare uh, not only to open the business but also to exit the business. An exit plan is very important. Um, you know, and ultimately, a good business model is is a proven one that makes money, and that's how the banks are going to look at it. So, again, they have a historically uh, database, historical database of, of businesses that do very well, and you know, they look at those models, and ultimately, they see you know, does it make money, and is that a business that's going to make money? So, from, again, from my perspective, in lending, uh, that's what they're going to look at ultimately. 
Brilliant points, everyone. So the next question is for John. One reason why early stage businesses fail is because they simply have gone into the market at the wrong time. So how often do you see this problem in your work? Well, I, I don't know that I buy the question, uh, but uh, for instance, there's a myth about the first mover, right? That if you're first to market, you're the big winner. I can tell you uh, that is generally false because being first to market means you have to go create the market. It's very, very expensive. You're learning along the way, and there's a bunch of folks standing behind you saying, go for it, baby. Go do it. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, in fact, you know, an example would be when we think of uh, portable MP3 players, we think of Apple and the iPod. You know, they came through. They created that market. But you don't remember that Iger Labs and Rio were the first to that market trying to commercialize it for consumers. They didn't get the rewards. Son of a gun, the guys behind them did. Can you also discuss, I guess, for the, for the movers and the shakers who want to build a new industry, how can people analyze their market and figure out how to not end up like those guys? Well, you know, I, I think uh, to uh, reintroduce the, the concept of intensely uh, studying the industry using a lean startup methodology is a good place. The competitor analysis to really understand uh, who's on first out there. there in every market, there, if there isn't a perfect fit, there's always a substitute. So there are other providers who are attempting to solve that market. And I think the challenge is to think small rather than big. And the, that is the basic principle of niche marketing. Uh, in that you look for a market that is underserved or even overlooked. And the people in that community, given uh, the product or the service that they want, they'll just be delighted, right? And they'll, uh, and they'll demonstrate their delight by purchasing your product, by paying a higher price, and then by referring you to others. So I think if I was uh, looking at a new market, I would think microscopically, I would think small, and I'd try to find a customer segment where they're uh, underserved or overlooked. I think that moves us into the next question. Another big failure factor can be the inability to understand who your customer is and their buying behaviors. How important is this, and how much research do you recommend your peers, students, entrepreneurs, how much research do you recommend that they do on their consumers? Well, it goes beyond the research. It, it has to become a way of life, okay, that even after you're lucky enough to launch a product, it's about staying engaged, right? How many times have you seen, like John was saying, was first out, but the customer went left and that company kept going right and missed it? So it's a, it's, um, it's a part of your culture is to build a company that is constantly engaged with their customers, constantly uh, looking for new ways to improve. You know, Kaizen, we learned that, um, you know, from companies like Toyota who learned it from Deming. But it's, it has to be a way of life, and it's constantly being engaged. And it's, it, you start it that way, and hopefully you never quit. 
Yeah, I would preface also, again, uh, you need to listen to the customer. There's an old adage, you know, if your customer speaks uh, German, don't, you know, speak to them in French. Uh, You need to really be uh, listening to them and uh, reiterating that you're hearing them. So no monologues. It's reading, dialogue, surveys. Um, And, again, you may not like what they're going to tell you. And I find that sometimes very difficult for companies that want to go to the next level. Uh, They'll tell me, well, I I get some bad feedback about customer service, but that's been worked on. Well, I'll look at the survey data, and it's still there. So, again, you need to make those corrections. But, again, uh, sometimes uh, startups, they're so eager that they're not doing their homework. So I'm I'm glad we've got incubators and MBA programs and other folks that can help them, uh, you know, dig deeper. So that's so very important. And, you know, uh, I, I love when people create a new idea and create a new company, and I, I think it's great and everything. And, and off of JJ, I mean, it's, it's very important, and it's very interesting to watch all these new people create these new different ideas, of course. But, you know, again, where my perspective comes from, I, I always remember a quote by Robert Kiyosaki. He said, you know, find out what rich people do and do the same thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of successful companies out there, and those people already have models in place. They already have business plans in place, and uh, it's it's definitely something that you can you know follow along. Um, but uh, you know, in regards to the customers and research, I'd encourage many different customers, many different vendors. You know, get away from the all eggs in one basket type of mentality. Obviously, where you're you know a broad focus as opposed to just one focus. Um, and of course, you don't want to be priced out of the market. You know, you got to pay attention to customers. I mean, you can't imagine opening up a gas station that charges six dollars a gallon. You know what I mean? Uh, so, you know, it's um, it's research is extraordinarily important uh, in regards to your competition. My uh, colleagues here are spot on, and the only thing that I would add to it is, uh, as startups, you need to leave your comfort zone. And you need to move multiple degrees away from your inner circle of friends and family to get uh, real feedback on your ideas and what needs to be done. And uh, some of that feedback may be uncomfortable, but what a, what a terrific privilege it is, what a bargain it is for you to get criticism about your idea so you can go back and improve your business concept, including a uh, a significant pivot, as we would say in the biz. Additionally, um, even as a uh, small startup, uh, I think an advisory board is critical to provide you uh, uh, additional feedback and direction. And so you're always looking for people uh, outside of the, the company to give you uh, uh, possible in information feedback to make things better. I was just uh, thinking as I was driving up, I saw Tilly's um, across the street, street, and I was thinking, I remember when they were testing um, products at the Orange County Swap Meet, and it was a great incubator program there. Um, Bob Teller, um, who I just adore, owns the Orange County Swap Meet out there, and and, uh, he basically has had very great success rates with startups that are just sampling the marketplace and Tilly's and Boone Boards and I'm thinking of all the different organizations that went out for maybe a year just to see what uh, people were saying about their product improving it and look where they've gone so um, there are places where you can go and do some sampling and and just like I said before stay engaged we were talking uh, at a workshop here I think it was on Wednesday 
And one of the topics was I was sharing with uh, our entrepreneurs here, a blog that I had just read by a successful serial entrepreneur who said, as a founder and the founder's team, you need to personally stay engaged with your first 1,000 customers. And everybody was kind of shocked at the 1,000. But it takes that, right? And the personal is not by sending emails, getting them on the phone or a Hangout or Skype or or events where you can actually talk to customers because the founders can make the, the changes, the fundamental changes in the company, the product that the consumer is demanding where staff may not be able or to react to that or process it differently. So this idea of staying connected is, is much more powerful and much more important than, than all of us give it you know, credit. So many good points. Thank you again for joining us because I think there's a lot of information that we can all learn from for our own endeavors. And the time is going by really quickly. We have another break. So we'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days all with a 12-month candidate warranty with results like that decision toolbox won't be a secret for long visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information If you are an Orange County CEO or business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO Peer Groups. CEO Peer Groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business. SNH Rubber is a manufacturing company in Fullerton, California. We specialize in custom molded, extruded, and stamped rubber parts. If your next job requires a rubber part, we would appreciate the opportunity to quote on it. We serve aerospace, automotive, and many other industries. We work with many types of rubber, including silicone, EPDM, neoprene, uninitrile, and viton. Our quality system is ISO and AS9100 approved. 
Over our 47 years in business, the S&H brand has become known for superior quality, quick turnaround, and competitive pricing. Please check out our website at www.shrubber.com or call 714-525-0277. Let S&H be your ceiling solution. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When you use the Premier Rewards Gold Card from American Express, the rewards points can keep on multiplying. Buy three with triple points on airfare. Buy two with double points on gas and groceries. And a single point for pretty much every other dollar you spend on the card. Then, start choosing from over a million rewards to redeem all those points. Apply today and the annual fee for the first year is on us. Call 1-800-AXP-GOLD or visit AXPGOLD.com. The annual fee for the card is $175. See terms, conditions, and restrictions at AXPGOLD.com. There's something positive about the word up. When things are looking good, they're looking up. When someone's down, you cheer them up. So how do you move up? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up, Brandman University. Brandman is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. Brandman's online graduate programs in business and education also receive top honors. So look us up at brandman.edu. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. All right, we're getting some good stuff here. Remember, if you have questions, tweet them in. We're getting a couple. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio's Final Friday Show live from Fast Start Studio in Irvine, California. I'm Asia Salasino filling in for Rick Franzi. Again, all shows can be heard live on Internet radio station OC Talk Radio or rebroadcast anytime from iTunes, Stitcher, and other business-oriented podcasting services. Remember to connect with us online at Twitter, at CEO Peer Groups. The hashtag today is Final Fridays. If you have something to say, if you have something to ask, just hashtag Ask Final Fridays. And let's get back to our panel discussion. Why do so many early-stage companies fail? I'd like to start by opening with Dr. Deb. A lot of startups fail because of poor management. How often do you see a poorly managed business, and what are some of the contributing factors? Oh, my goodness. I've been around for a long time, so um, let's just say that I've seen it all, um, but I think there are some 
some particular ones that are, are usually pretty relevant that um, tend to be the demise of an organization. Uh, lack of experience can be one of them. You can learn uh, your business without being an expert, but sometimes you see individuals go into a line of business and have no background whatsoever. Um, I've sometimes told people sometimes a franchise would be a better way to go if you don't have that experience, but you want to get into an industry and still be able to um, have a good income coming in, but sometimes lack of experience. Ego is a big factor. Um, I am dealing right now with some students that start an organization. Everybody wants to be the president and CEO and CFO, and nobody wants to do any heavy lifting. And so um, I'm trying to be a mediator uh, with this group to explain that uh, that's great. We all have got titles, but now how are we going to move the company forward? So, again, egos can be a huge factor. Underestimating the competition, we talked about that as well. Again, not knowing your competition, underestimating who's out there. Listen, I've got this great product. I've got this great service. Once I launch it, everyone's going to be coming, and the reality is maybe they won't. Um, Cash flow. Uh, We teach LIFO, FIFO methodologies. Very important. But again, not having enough capital. Luckily, we have a panelist that knows all about that. It's very important that uh, you don't run out of capital. And uh, wrong target market. Um, I see sometimes... uh, an entrepreneur who's targeted something that's could be a target market but wasn't the primary one and they fell short and then the competition comes in and, and sweeps them off their feet um, because they've really gone for the primary target market. Fixed assets. This is always a pet peeve for me. Um, we do some uh, venture funding and I, I'm always highly suspect of organizations that uh, buy each other uh, cars, uh, do beautiful offices, and then forget to uh, really do a good job at work. And um, we're seeing this more often uh, that uh, the VCs and the angel funders are saying, uh, you know, I don't want an expensive and good-looking front office. I want you guys to have a good product or service. Personal use of business funds is also another one. Um, I see individuals make a commitment. We're doing a business plan, and we explain that if you're going to be doing um, this business for the next couple of years, you might have to take a hit on your six-figure income. So they've committed to making 50000 for the first year. All of a sudden, they realize that their center of living has really uh, declined, and they dip into uh, business funding to uh, better their, their lifestyle. So that's always a disaster. And my all-time favorite is success can kill you. And um, not being prepared for the business to be successful, I've seen quite a few times happen as well. Not having enough product. All of a sudden, uh, you're getting so many orders and you're behind, and then you'll start losing your customers to folks that are offering a similar product or service because you don't have the uh, foot soldiers or the product uh, to supply. So those are factors I either see a combination of or uh, just one that can be the demise of an organization uh, due to poor management. And I'd like to kind of move into something else involving management. Someone mentioned earlier how important your team is. What are each of your keys to finding the right team, and how do you know if you have the wrong team and when it's time to change up the team? Uh, I'll start first, and I'll say that a good team is a diverse team. And so it's uh, if you're the founder... Uh, you want people that have uh, strengths in areas that you're weak at. That only makes good sense. I also uh, would recommend sometimes that you overhire because mm-hmm. given the fast pace of a startup, a lot of times there isn't time to learn, uh, whereas in a, uh, at a large company, they'll invest in you and give you time to learn. In a startup, there, there may not be time. So if you can hire people that are experienced 
and people that are different than you, I think that's a good start. Yeah, I think it is a good start too, but there's it's so much more there's more complexities, I guess is what I would add, JJ. Here, the number one cause of failure has been um, the failure of teams to work together. It's the, been the disbanding of a team. And more than competition, more than lack of funding, more than the technology, it is all about team. Because what happens in startups, you know, the idea sounds great and, you know, people have availability and, you know, it sounds cool and they all start working together and then later find that they have different culture, right? And I'm not talking about ethnicity or age uh, or, or gender they simply are, have different goals and unless there's an alignment that company's not going to work yeah different tolerance for risk uh, different work ethics yes. very much so and uh, that may be also one of the one of the reasons why women uh, startups that have women as founders tend to have a greater success record um, because it is about building um, uh, relationships as much as it is building a company. And at the end of the day, it's about culture. You can't launch a company unless the, the right culture is in place. And so I think that the numbers certainly show that uh, women-led companies are more successful than men. And uh, I'm actually working on doing a workshop next month for that topic uh, for one of our meetups at uh, Tech Coast Venture Network. Plug, plug, plug. But, um, but the, the, it stays in place that without, you can't do it as a solopreneur. No one can do it alone. So you have to create a team. But just because people are available and they want to does not mean that they're the right fit. And it's one of the hardest things that we have to do. And I'd like to add, if I may, going back to uh, the question that Dr. Deb answered, one of the most prevalent uh, other reasons for companies crashing and burning, uh, and this came through a study uh, by uh, some Stanford statisticians, they published the Startup uh, Genome Project, and they interviewed over 3,000 technology startups. And the number one reason of, of failure out of these 3,000 technology companies was they scaled too quickly. So like Dr. Deb said, their success brought them down. They didn't build the infrastructure. They didn't have the financial uh, 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 structure. They didn't have the business plan. They didn't have the components necessary to, to create the underpinning for their success. And that was it. If you have um, you start a restaurant and your food's terrible and you know people leave, you change the name and it's under new management or you take the sign down, you learn to do it better and the customers will come back and give you another try. But in technology, that's it. One and done. They will never come back to your site, never buy your product and so forth again. So if you don't deliver on the promise, whatever that promise is that you're making your customers, you basically have one shot. So building the infrastructure, the team, the finance, the, the, you know, the, the, the human manpower behind it is just as important as having that whiz-bang concept. I definitely agree with that. I mean, it, having a team 
is is something that uh, you know a lot of people might look at a team as like oh, okay I have to go in business with four other people then because I have to have a person that's expert in accounting I have to have a person expert in marketing I have to have a person expert in sales whatever else but if you can go out into the field and find people that want to service your needs and not just supply their products say if you want to go to a marketing company and say and you get on the phone with them and, and they say, oh, this is what we have. This is what we can do for your business. This is what we can do. This is what we can do. The people that I like to work with or, or my business owners, the, that marketing company should say, what do you need from us? You know, what are your needs? What, how are you going to reach the market? And asking questions. So you need team members that you can you know, rely on, obviously, that share your passion, that share uh, your goal, ultimately, and will drive business, ultimately, to you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a team is is one of the most important parts, without a doubt. To keep the team theme, uh, I've, I've worked in a few startups, and I, I've also worked for a financial radio show and a business radio show, but I think there's a comparison between a startup or any business and a marriage in that a lot of the time bad things can happen or some sort of demise can happen if there is a lack of money or funding. So uh, this question is for Chris. Another big issue is funding. As a commercial capital advisor, what are most of your clients' financial situation when they come to you? And how can business owners change their direction to gain more capital? Uh, It's a good segue into that question because a lot of people just wait too long. You know, maybe they don't have that part of the team where there's accounting, and you know they didn't foresee the that they in two years because um, because uh, one side of the business is outpacing uh, the growth is outpacing the support that's behind it, um, and they, they didn't see a need for that because you know again that team player is not there to tell them what's going to happen a year or two down the line. They just have this passion that they want to build this thing as fast as possible, but ultimately it can crumb crumble like a house of cards if there's no support under it. Uh, things move too fast in all markets for the most part. Um, so people generally come to us, um, to Capital Direct, uh, frustrated a lot of times. They come to us uh, you know, being beat up a little bit by the banks, uh, maybe other banks, because maybe their only outlet that they know of for capital raising money is their local bank and the stuff that they're being marketed to on the Internet. So, again, at Capital Direct, we're more consultative. We have all the products that are out there, and we try to lay everything down uh, on the table so that you know, people can choose wisely and ultimately you know, have the capital that uh, they need to go forward. Um, but, but like I said, it's, it's a lot of frustration that we deal with just because people have been beat up a little bit because the credit score, because of 08, you know, happened to crash and, you know, because they've had issues in the past and, and banks are just tighter now. Uh, so, you know, hopefully we can give them other alternative lending solutions such as, like uh, Michael said, with the peer-to-peer or uh, other private equity that has really come in and filled the gap, like I said. But, uh, you know, these, they need to keep accurate Accounting, I think, is one of the biggest issues. Um, you know, so that person or that part of their business is extraordinarily important. Or get someone who knows how to keep accurate accounting, like an accounting firm or something. Um, I think other part of the question was, what are the biggest mistakes? Is yeah, what are the biggest, most common mistakes that some business owners have made that make you kind of stressed out because you see them all the time? Right, waiting too long. That is the biggest one. 
they, they come to a point like, I need to make payroll next week. You know, I need to get this product right now, and I need to buy this inventory so I can get it out. Um, just waiting too long, not preparing. You know, again, it rolls back to the business plan. Um, not understanding, you know, how quickly things work, and not having a, a side coffer of money that they need in case something does happen. You know, because something every single time will, every single year, every single month, for the most part, something you don't expect in a business will come up. Um, so, again, you know, outpacing growth without support. You mentioned marketing and the idea that you, if if you need a service that you don't specialize in finding other companies that do. This question was intended for Dr. Deb, but feel free to answer it. Um, on the subject of marketing, it can make, a, make or break a company. Have you seen companies that either do not spend enough money on marketing or allocate too much of their financial sources to marketing? And what is a good balance? Uh, I, I can help. I, I would I say, say that. Well, I was going to say that. I'm sorry. I thought it was going. Okay. So let me just say that um, the biggest issue I see for marketing is the messaging is confusing. Um, it's not clear. It's not direct. Um, so you need to make sure it's very um, precise. And um, we tell our students, we give them uh, some branding tips. And sometimes organizations wait until the launching of their business. But I tell them, even if you're in the beta phase, start marketing now. So um, we remind the students of that. And we also tell students, okay, your marketing and branding tools are great, but unless you continue to improve the product, it won't matter. So very, very important that you do that. But again, the messaging is so important. We've got a very short attention span, at least I do. So I need that message quickly. I need to understand how that product fits. Some of us watch commercials sometimes, and I'll, I'll wonder what what does this relate to the product? They might win a wonderful award, but they never quite uh, spelled out what they're trying to sell or what the idea is. And so we don't have time to do that as a startup, and I see that as a potential failure. A little bit too creative and not precise enough. And what I was going to react to is uh, I find that most people underestimate the time and expense it takes to market a product. And by the way, in particular, uh, with a consumer product. They're unbelievably difficult, unbelievably expensive, and um, most uh, many of the startups I run into think they'll quickly knock it out of the park in 90 days, and I tell you, it's, it's going to be a lot longer than that. And, and to add to that, it could be industry-specific. So in our franchise company, you know, after 30 years of running it, I knew what the budget should be at each stage of growth, right? Launching, starting that specific location, and it may be in Alabama versus here in Southern California where I have 50 stores and some kind of recognition, and no one knew us in Alabama. So we knew what it would take, and then when each store hit a certain level, I knew you need to be spending 4% of your gross and so forth. That's great, but when it comes to startups, right, what you're buying in some cases uh, are just eyeballs, right? You're, you're just getting a, a readership or a following, not selling a product, so it doesn't work uh, percent to total, to gross, because there is no gross, and it, it becomes almost... 100% of the spend in some cases is about creating um, that following, right, to, to get the email address, to get people to log on, to get people to retweet, whatever it is. So it could be extraordinary, like what JJ said, and most companies are not prepared for that. I mean, just 
as a as an exercise, you know, go on to you know Google AdWords and see what it would cost to buy some keywords in the area that you're going to build your business, and go, oh my goodness, it's ten bucks a word, or it's you know uh, using AdSense or something with Google, what what it costs to get the following, and, and say, okay, we need you know a thousand customers, or we need ten thousand. Do the math. It can be huge, but these are the kinds of things you have to do beforehand and usually isn't done. So, Did you have something to add to well, that? Um, marketing is typically the most expense, the highest expense in a business, without a doubt. And uh, in regards to uh, you know who to market, I mean, it, it's ultimately it totally depends on your uh, ability to find out what the competition are there's a tons of marketing companies out there but you have to go with what works I mean we're in the information age you can type how do I fund AAA technology company whatever and you're going to find a lot of different people to give you advice so you know just again preparation and it comes down to a ratio like you said uh, the 4% I mean it comes down to I mean I can go on and advertise on you know on some business channel and ultimately I might get a few calls but is that really my target market you know, and is that going to ultimately give me the best return? Or I can buy a bunch of, uh, you know, extraordinarily cheap leads that cost one cent. Um, you, there has to be something in the middle there, and you have to look at your ratios. I always like to recommend, too, as a startup, to look at your SIT code. It's very important. But, again, beyond the SIT code, right, We the days of just saying that I'm in this one niche um, is gone. But uh, we all know companies like Dun & Bradstreet will help uh, search those out for you. They can be expensive or inexpensive. It just depends. But know your SIT code. Sometimes I'll ask a student, I'll say, what is, what is the SIT code that you're going to be targeting? And they'll look at me with a blank stare. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a, a beginning stage as well. And there's there's more to it than that, and and, and I believe in mature businesses, like I said, percentage, but in startups, because you can't go back all the time against your gross sales, the real deal is cost of acquisition, right? No matter what media you use, a multimedia, what your ad budget is, is are you spending more to acquire that customer than their lifetime value? Right, not just the initial sale, but whatever that life cycle is. And if the answer is it costs more to acquire than than the revenue they're going to generate, guess what? That's broken. You know, that's not going to work. So it's following the metrics and it's being smart about the buy and it's about measuring everything. Uh, and you know, then you can develop some sort of best practices after modeling. You know, initially. This is Paul Roberts with OC Talk Radio for those listening. I think we had somebody immediately tweet in, what was Dr. Dev talking about? Is, what's this? Is it SIC code, standard industrial? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So it's a standard industrial code, so it would be based on uh, the type of uh, business you're targeting. So, again, on the business plan, um, I've seen this happen with uh, VCs as well as um, angel funding. They'll ask. Uh, during the, you know the demonstration or presentation, so what are the sit codes? And you get a blank stare. So it depends on the market. It's uh, it's a older standard way of doing it, and I don't recommend that there's just one sit code that you're targeting, but you should have at least one in your business plan. Otherwise, there's 
probably going to be someone on a panel or someone reviewing your business plan is going to wonder why it's not on there. And where did you get those? Is it Department of Commerce? You can do Department of Commerce. Uh, there are several ways of going online. You can actually type in SIC uh, codes and then you'll... They book, I think. They do. Or something. It's a massive book with all the SIC codes. And it's a great way to segment your market. But again, my caution is don't just assume it's one. Um, you can, again, uh, go beyond that. But again, I've seen that happen. We're talking about, you know, why businesses fail and, and one way is out the chute when they don't even know what their target market number is. So. And I think they, they've changed the name now. It's NAIS or something like that. It's not SICK. Uh, but if you, if you Google SIC, it's going to come up. But, yeah, they renamed it, but it's all the same. So learn your SICK code here. Nothing, not your ZIP code, but no. your code. <laughs> learn your SICK code here. Who would, who would think that? You're starting up a widget. Why would I not need to know my SICK code here? Because the investors and marketing people are going to use that to target things. Well, there's more to it than that, too. Let's say um, insurance, right? Whether it's, um, you know, product liability or, you know, insurance for your, your staff, your salespeople, whatever industry you're in, that SICK code uh, is tied back to uh, your insurance company rates, right? So the actuarials have looked at each industry and what it, you know, typically what are the costs there. How many people in the room knew that? Not me. Two people. Yay, three, three four, yay, five. <laughs> Woohoo. They must be as fast as our Yeah, there you go. So what else you got on the list here for us? Did you get some more good stuff? Well, we could probably talk about marketing for the rest of the show. That's yeah, the whole topic unto itself. But we're due for another break, so we'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. There's something positive about the word up. When things are looking good, they're looking up. When someone's down, you cheer them up. So how do you move up? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up, Brandman University. Brandman is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. Brandman's online graduate programs in business and education also receive top honors. So look us up at brandman.edu. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.svnonline.com. UPS Protection has been protecting systems in the U.S. against brownouts, blackouts, and poor quality power for over 25 years. We provide power protection systems, including UPS, lighting inverters, generators, and service for clients from coast to coast. We specialize in solving all your power needs. As a direct reseller of the best brands in the industry, including Liebert, Powerware, and APC, we can solve all your power protection needs. Protecting your power is our main goal. We offer on-site or depot repair of our critical equipment. To better serve your budget constraints, UPS Protection also offers both reconditioned and new products. 
Use the Premier Rewards Gold Card from American Express. The rewards points can keep on multiplying. Buy three with triple points on airfare. Buy two with double points on gas and groceries. And a single point for pretty much every other dollar you spend on the card. Then, start choosing from over a million rewards to redeem all those points. Apply today and the annual fee for the first year is on us. Call 1-800-AXP-GOLD or visit AXPGOLD.com. The annual fee for the card is $175. See terms, conditions, and restrictions at AXPGOLD.com. Hey, there we go, and we're back with Asia Celestino and Michael Sawitz and uh, the esteemed panel of people here live from Fast Start Studios in Irvine. It's important that we say Irvine, not Lake Forest. We're in Irvine. Well, we'll say Spectrum, then I'm, I'm happier with that. Yeah. All right, and we have a very lively, engaged audience here today. I know we only have, how much we got left? We only have 10 minutes, so we're going to jump right into some questions from our live audience and also from online. Let's start with the online one that came in earlier here. This may be a little vague, but maybe it does open up something. Where do you go to start a business? And I'm assuming they mean a physical place, but maybe it's on the Internet or maybe it's a school or maybe something. Where do you, you got a great idea. Where do you go to start a business? They also may be referring to incorporation. Yeah, or corporation or something. Yeah, been, I mean, I know that's an open-ended thing. you got to go lots of places. But where, where do you start? I've got it. All right. <laughs> the answer, right? Well, actually, it's places like this. Uh, you want to go hang out with other like-minded people and uh, this is where it gets tricky. So you've got an idea for a business. You need to talk about it. You need to share it. And so many folks think, well, I've got this really cool idea. The last thing I want to do is talk about it and have somebody steal it. Well, guess what? Right now it's just an idea. And what you need to do is to meet up, as Mike describes it, Michael describes it, to go to events, to talk with uh, with financiers, with bankers, with lenders, with angel investors, and get feedback. And then from there, uh, the where you end up is going to be logical. But you've got to start by talking to as many people as possible. I think that's the best answer possible here. You know, just start talking about it here and go to other, go meet other people. Anybody else have any ideas? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. And and. Lately, yeah. So lately, it's become easier than ever, you know, with um, platforms like Meetup. Okay, for instance, last night at TCVN, we had, I think, about 100 people show up for a really good. I know Steve's shaking his head. He was there, and Mish, and a lot of you in the audience today were there last night, and it it was a good. Um, you know, mixer and it's good content, and we do that once a month. I do something similar here. Uh, f- I have a meetup called Fast Start Events, and they're free. And you do other things like that. Once you join Meetup, it'll give you a list of everything that's going on. But the idea is just like JJ said, is to get involved. You know, get off the couch, go meet people, go learn. TCVN for those who are listening yeah. elsewhere is Techos Venture Network. Network. Yeah. All right. And then I'm assuming the colleges do things and have uh, programs where you can learn stuff. <coughs> yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I'm sure uh, Brandon is just like uh, Cal State Fullerton. But there's something going on almost every single day. And so I think getting off the couch is a good way to describe it. Go get involved. Participate. How about the banks? Do, they ever, uh, do the lenders ever uh, tell you how to lend? Did he give you a hint of how to get money? <laughs> I get calls from startups all the time. People are looking for money all the time. You know, of course, I'm a consultative, 
you know, broker, so I want to tell them the right path to go and the right things that they need to do. Um, you know, and maybe we can even help them if they've already come, if they've already done the right things and uh, they're at that point. But I, I do recommend, as JJ said, get out there, network and Michael. Um, you know, one good event uh, that's locally in Orange County is uh, the, the SCORE event. It's uh, ex-entrepreneurs that give their free time to give all their advice of what their, uh, all their problems, their successes, and everything that they've had in, in business. And they will talk to you, even sit down with you and be a private mentor if you want. Um, but they have these meetings literally every week, every few days, I want to say, on different types of topics. So that and the SBA puts on a lot of different events. You know, a lot of different people put on a lot of different events. Of course, events. I'd be remiss if I didn't include listen to Critical Mass for radio every week. Of course. Come on. Or OC Talk Radio about .net or other channels. Okay, Asia's at that. There are endless resources for places that you can network and kind of get your idea and bring it to fruition. We have a couple minutes left, so I'm rushing. If anyone has any Crazy. listener like, questions. Oh, we got to jump in here. We have a great panel. Right I'm speaking to the mic here and try and ask a question. Don't just give a comment. <laughs> So, of course, we all know that you probably get ideas a dime a dozen, and there's ones that come along all the time. And I think that the culture of television and media, Shark Tank or whatever, it makes it seem so easy to just get your idea going. What gets you to stop and listen to someone? Is someone like myself or who just sort of said, hey, I've got this great idea. I know your first thought is like, yeah, get in line. What makes you stop and listen? What, what is like, okay, hey, I actually want to listen to this. I have to tell you, somebody's passion, uh, and, and again, this is a visceral reaction, but uh, somebody who's uh, kind of flat and says, yes, I have this great idea, is not very exciting for me to listen to. It doesn't mean because you're very excited that it's going to be the best idea, but if you believe in it and you're excited about it, I will do everything in my power to guide you to find sources to make that happen because I'm... I get excited when you're excited. So that's right. Yeah, that's right. You look for what makes you pop. Absolutely. Passion is right. Passion. You know, uh, I have this personal commitment that I uh, answer every phone call, that anybody's welcome to come to my office, and I answer every email. I spend a lot of time talking to spammers, obviously. But, <laughs> but, but really, uh, I, I find that there's just so much energy and so many great ideas out there that uh, I want to welcome them all. And, uh, and then what I, what I try to do is to help them in some small way, uh, knowing that someday, it may be in the afterlife, that I'll be rewarded. <laughs> what makes a banker's ears perk up? Just the financial projection? Yeah, I mean, passion is great and everything. Um, ultimately, it comes down to the numbers. If they have a great plan, uh, as much as they can possibly get to us, and you know, it looks like it can make some money, uh, then I'm going to definitely shop as much as I can for them. You know, private funding will will perk up when they hear mostly passion, like you said, and they're good for something. But, uh, yeah, it comes down to numbers with us ultimately. A broker, is that what you do? You're like a mortgage broker. If I, if I want to get the best mortgage, I get you and you go find my house. So in that sense, you're a money broker. Yes, pretty much. But, uh, you know, we do much larger. I mean, we can do small stuff, but uh, we can do things in the tens of millions also. I got a deal for you. Do you? <laughs> Call me. It's called OC Talk Radio. Michael, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you only pick a few people to be in this Fast Start studio. I'm sure there are more people who apply than get in. What makes you pick somebody? 
Uh, I've got this uh, Ouija board thing, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And we close our eyes and we kind of, you know, groove together. Because there is no real science to it. It is, is, it is a gut feel, and, and things tend to run in trends. Um, in a month, I'll get three, four, or five people that all come with similar ideas and a similar vertical, and it's usually because somebody you know, had a giant IPO or was purchased lately, and so everybody says, oh, I'm going to do that. Um, and so things come in trends like that. I get a lot of people that come to me have great ideas, but they're lifestyle businesses, right? Um, recent young young woman, she made terrific jewelry, right? But in talking to her and trying to find out what her goal was, was simply to have her own jewelry store and to sell her wares. And that's commendable. And she can can make a really neat business and, and live her life and, and meet her needs. But for me, I'm looking for things that will scale that will put people to work so that didn't fit right and for us we're looking for concepts that can come to market in one year or less right so I mean we've got we've got different criteria for that but you know part of it is you know I borrowed from Clark Kent those x-ray glasses and I peer into people's souls to see you know yeah yeah, here we go here we go so um, no it is very very difficult and it doesn't happen with one meeting and that's the whole thing I try to get engaged with these people I want to see you know how they handle the questioning and how they handle challenges because for me one of the prime criteria aside from the vertical that that business is in is how coachable are they right so uh, if I surround you with subject matter experts and mentors or my own input and you don't listen you know then you wasted everybody's time it doesn't mean that I or anybody else have all the answers but it's how you process how coachable you are to me is number one Usually, usually we get quite a bit of time at the end to have each of our panelists do a final note. But for this one, because we're a bit pressed for time, I'd like you all to have one final message on how your company cannot end up like a failed early start company. So, um, if we could just have each of you go down the line with your most important warning for our listeners on um, early stage companies. Uh, I would say that uh, if I can say if if we're not talking about failure, we're talking about success. The uh, criteria that I see almost invariably in successful companies uh, would be persistence. They just don't give up, and they adjust, they pivot, and they keep on going. So it is that uh, that drive to to make it happen. Yeah, they learn from their failures, absolutely. I mean, you seem you have to fail to succeed ultimately because you learn. But uh, my final thoughts is just have the capital. Um, not all of it. Uh, just have <laughs> enough to you know, manage it well and uh, have a great business plan. And call me, Chris Wright. <laughs> capital direct. <laughs> I would say the three C's, which is be clear, concise, compelling, and uh, whatever product or service you have, you will be successful. And I would say, be like the folks in the back here who are companies here are fast starters, and I'd like to acknowledge them because, after all, all of this, the support for entrepreneurship, is all about these folks back there. Come on, guys, stand up. Be acknowledged. Come on. Fast starters, stand up. Yeah. 
That's what it's all about, right? And if you don't want to become roadkill, you model off off of these folks because these are the ones that are going to make it. Michael, for those who can't see it, they don't all look the same. I thought they'd all be 12. Yeah, well, I think we go go from 22 to about 65, and I won't say who's who. (laughs) And different heights and, uh, you know, hair, no hair. So, you know, we're all there. I thought we all had to be 12 and uh, and be inventing Google. In our bedroom here. Yeah, and if you really want to build something, that's what you look like. Okay. I'd like everyone to give all of these fantastic people a round of applause. Thank you so much for joining us. Michael Sawitz, founder of Fast Start Studio, John Bradley Jackson, director of Cal State University Fullerton Center of Entrepreneurship, Christopher Wright, senior commercial capital advisor with Capital Direct, Dr. Deborah Ferber, Brandman University professor and managing partner with Lodom Sanchez and Colmenares. And thank you guys so much for coming to our live show today from Fast Start Studio in Irvine Forest, California. Um, I mentioned at the beginning of the show you can get more updates and exclusive interviews from Critical Mass Radio. If you have your phone out, just text the word Fridays, plural Fridays, to 37169. Oh, I'm sorry, 37619. Again, that's 37619. You get a notification for our website. We also get your information so that we can email you when we're having specific people on the show. I know that Michael has been on our show. Has Have you, well, John? John has not been on It just feels like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, now you've all been on our show. We have a lot of incredible experts like these people at the front of the room every week, three times a week. So make sure that you uh, text us and you can get some updates on that. And before you leave, let's go down the road. We'll start with JJ and give us contact info. Oh, absolutely. want to hear or get in touch with you. How do they reach you? Email, phone numbers, whatever you want to give out. Uh, from a university perspective, JJ. Jackson at Fullerton.edu. Okay. Uh, Chris Wright is uh, Chris dot Wright, Wright just like the brothers at Capital Direct Loans dot com. Uh, telephone number seven one four eight six two one eight four four. And the Wright brothers are W R. That's right. Or Frank Lloyd, whichever you prefer. Okay. And it's Dr. Deb Ferber at Brandman University and D Ferber at Brandman dot edu. At, like Gerber baby food, but with an F. Gerber. F-E-R-B-E-R. Right. And mine's easy, just Michael at FastStartStudio.com. And everyone is on LinkedIn. I found them, and yeah. that's how I found some of our panelists. Power so LinkedIn. The power of LinkedIn. I'm going to mention our sponsors. This show has been brought to you by Brandman University Commercial Bank, Decision Toolbox Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, The Center Club, Fast Start Studio, and our engineer for today's show is Paul Roberts, our executive producer. Well, we have a, we have a ton, so we'll do one big one at the end for our team. So our executive producer is Richard Franzi, who is not here today. Our show producer, Crystal Nunley. Our vice president of sales, Rose Shimura. Uh, our social media manager, Melissa Padani. Our guest coordinator is Kathleen Shepard. I'm your moderator for today, Asia Celestino. And if you'd like to learn more about Critical Mass for Business, visit our website. It's criticalmass4forbusiness.com. And until the next show, we at Critical Mass Radio hope all your decisions move, you, move your company in a positive direction. All right. Yay. Now.
Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 